This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cavalry Audio. Hi, Joe. Yeah, hi, Oliver. <sighs> Happy birthday. Yeah, thanks. All right, good talk. <laughs> Yesterday was the uh, was the boys' third birthday party. Today they actually turned three. And I have to tell you a story, but I don't feel like I have your full attention before Justin gets <sighs> in here. No, I know you do. I just, you know, I'm a mess. Fuck, I'm a mess. Sorry, that's just for something to talk about later. I can't. Anyway, you know, I'm a mess. Sorry, dude. Fucking mess. You're a mess. Uh, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. It's like uh, Dora the Explorer, which we're into now in our house. I'm the map. I'm the map. I'm the map. I'm the map. I'm Oliver. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. Yeah. If there's a place yeah. you want to go, then Oliver will not show. He's a mess. He's a mess. He's a mess. He's a mess. Uh, it's true. Oh, I, I missed that song. He's uh, going to play some golf and do a podcast. He's a mess. He's a mess. He's a mess. He's a mess. Here's what happened. Yesterday, we have the bouncy castle. We have all the crapola for the boys. We have a food truck. We have uh, an icy thing mm-hmm. truck that shows up. All of our friends are there. Their friends are there. Their schoolmates are there. It feels like the first post-COVID party that anybody's been to. It was outside, <laughs> blah blah blah. Uh, Batman is the favorite superhero for Blake. Wyatt's mm-hmm. favorite superhero is Spider-Man. <laughs> Michelle's brother dresses up in a realistic <laughs> Batman costume. Wow. Comes out around the other side of the house with the cake. Blake freaks out. I have just gotten a cup of coffee because I'm already tired. I've gotten a cup of coffee. It's in my hand. Blake comes up and he's kind of crying and freaked out because here comes Batman and it's pretty realistic. And he buries his head. As I'm standing there, he is waist high on me, maybe a little bit lower, buries his head in my crotch. (laughs) And as I'm holding a hot cup of coffee, he proceeds to bite the brain area of my (laughs) artist formerly known as my baby maker. So, no. and I abs and I, my sister has it on video. 
I, I just react because I just got bitten. It feels like a needle just went into the head of, you know what? And I move my leg. I knock him over. He goes back, hits his head on the pavement, on the driveway. All hell broke loose. My was throbbing the rest of the two hours. And at the end, I'm like, I got to check this thing. I have to check it. I go in the bathroom, pull my underwear down, blood in my underwear. There is a cut and a raised bruise on it. He broke the skin. And now my wife's freaking out. My mom has called me 10 times asking me about something she's not asked me about since I was three. And I, I, it's like, do I need to get a tetanus shot? Does my kid have rabies? Should I be worried about it? He threw my jeans. He oh. cut a cut into the head of me. Oh, my God. I have a picture of it, which I will send to you, Oliver. Yeah. Thank you. I would actually love to see it. That has lifted my spirits, my friend. Yeah, I knew it would. I guess for the wow. sake of the podcast, I'm glad he bit me. Uh, but if if it all falls falls off me, then I'm what? not glad that he bit me. Because <laughs> oh I don't God, know if I need is... a shot. He cut cut me. This is crazy. I mean, this right. is a story that you you never hear about. And if you do, you sort of question the validity of it. You know well, what I mean? I have visual proof. And you I, do. Not only uh, that... do I have a still photo right now but I have the actual incident on video. So he just got so he just, scared that he, he panicked. Uh, he panicked, he panicked and, and he gets real. Uh, yeah. Like we talked about with one of our guests. <laughs> I don't know who the, who the hell it was. They all mixed together yeah. now. And <laughs> he bit me and he's never been one that's bitten. I mean, his brother bites all the time or he's kind of grown out of that. But this guy never bit anything. Now I'm like, every time they come near me, I'm covering up. I'm I'm gun shy. I'm freaked and then, out. Uh, of, and uh, to go back, of course, your reaction is, you know, boom. It's 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 just yeah, you're, I, it, you. And so then, totally involuntary. He, I yeah, knock he him ate down. Shit, right? And yeah. Now he's crying. He smashes his head on the driveway. Everybody goes to him, and I'm like, thinking, and you're what like, about my me? dick is yeah. <laughs> Nobody oh knew why. I why I reacted that way, but the answer is because I, out of nowhere, it it I can't tell you the level of pain, just the sharpness of that pain, and he cut he cut a hole he cut he cut there's a scab now. Oh wow! And does he know what he did? Oh, yeah, yeah. After, oh, I've guilted him. Yeah, yeah, I've guilted him. Like, you want to look at it again? You want to see what she did? <laughs> Look at what she did to dad's peepee. <laughs> That's really funny. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was really this, hilarious. And so wait, so the boys, I don't know why I didn't know. Sorry. The boys' birthdays is the day after yours? Yeah, they were oh, born on the 26th of April, and uh, I'm the 25th. And have wow. been for 52 damn years, but... Nobody seems well, to happy care about birthday, that. Well, happy birthday, man. Yeah, nobody seems to care about that anymore. So I got to walk away on my birthday with a raised, <laughs> bruised, <laughs> comma, scab. How long do you think you're out of action for? I don't, you know let I mean? me tell you, it's in the worst possible place because yeah. every step I take, maybe this is why... So why Sting wrote that song. Every step I take, <laughs> I'll be thinking about that. 
Every move I make, every vow I break, I'll be oh. feeling you down there. Wow. But hey. This is, this is big news. I mean, as far as the dad world goes, I wonder how often this has happened. I wonder how many of you there are where their child has bit their dick. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to say I, it's probably a select few. You're in an elite group, my friend. You must I be. am. I am. Oh, gosh. It wow. Just, I, I just can't tell you how immediate the pain yeah. was and how I just need him off me. It was like it was like a dog came up yeah. and bit me there, except it was my three-year-old son. <laughs> So had it been a dog, I at least got the dog on the ground. Again, unfortunately, this is my three-year-old son. So uh, now, the dog would have your, head. Where there. did your instincts go after that? Meaning, like, your reaction is to kick the kid, of course. It's just like, oh, Jesus, right? No, then, then I went to him. Immediately, it was just like, forget. And then I consoled him. Yeah. yeah. Your dick went away for a second. It was like, holy shit. I, I just, you right. know, threw my then kiddo he, off of me. He, right. Then he calmed down. And then I went back to feeling sorry for myself. <laughs> Didn't check it for more than two hours. And I was like, there's no way that he cut it. And and I, I went in there. And then, you know, it's like a party trick. Then I'm calling everybody in. Yeah. yeah. My wife. I didn't show my sister. <laughs> Not your but mom. I showed my brother-in-law. I didn't show my mom. I showed no females. I just showed okay. the other men at the party. <laughs> like, look at what Blake just did to me. Have you put any, you know, Neosporin anything yeah, on it? There's Neosporin on there. And a ba- uh, no, no Band-Aid. It's just, just. I don't see how a Band-Aid. No, I mean, I'd like to say I could put <laughs> gauze and and all, you know, this massive Band-Aid yeah. on it, but no, it's there's so, not, there's a surface area doesn't exist. What kind of underwear do you wear, by the way? Like, what's your what's your Tommy vibe? John? Is that Tommy John? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, that's good. So, the Tommy John is nice and supportive, and you supportive, know. but definitely not preventative or protective. No. Oh man, is uh, is Justin on here? I feel like he's scared to hop in. I see. No, this is Jennifer. I'm his publicist. Hi guys. Um, Hi Jennifer. I'm I'm very much enjoying this conversation. Yeah, um, well, <laughs> hey, we we um, tend to overshare a little bit on this podcast. So mm-hmm. tell Justin he can. Uh, you know he what? Can, it makes whatever. you guys so great. So yes, um, yes, I'm I'm yeah. waiting. I just he just wrapped up his other interview. He should be joining shortly. I just pinged okay. him. If you guys don't All mind good. hanging out a couple more minutes. No, we're good. Of course, great. I was. I were good. I was late too. So <laughs> okay, uh, great. <laughs> All right, he should oh, be joining yeah. shortly. So okay, posted. great. So Oliver, I'm sending you the picture on my phone. Okay, not- great. Yeah, now here we go. There we go. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Wow, dude. <laughs> Oh gosh, for the forty-eight people who listen to this, man, that I wish you, I wish you could all see that. That is, that is. I can't tell shit. you. I can't tell you the relationship between the size of the cut and the amount of pain. Wow. No, I know. I, no, you can tell. You now. So to describe it, you can tell that there's almost like a little chunk that has been taken out with tiny little incisors, right? Yeah. So. 
you can feel the pain in that picture. Yeah. It's almost like a bigger chunk would have been even like a little less painful, but it's like this chunk that probably just got eked out. There's like, think. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I'm, uh, I can't right now. I'm, I'm, I, I'm squeezing on my own. I can't even yeah. process that. that I can't better. squeeze on my own. Cause it hurts like a mother. Oh yeah. Hey, hey. Justin. What's up, man. Can you hear us? Yeah, sorry about that. He should be joining back. We're just having some technical issues. That's quite all right. He's the first guest we've had that uh, can pull off a man bun, so that's good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Great. This is true. Good. And I, I obsess about my hair, so he's going to have to work out of a hole with me. I'm already pissed Oh, off. yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> that, that's true. He's, 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 he's coming from behind with Joe. His hair is so good. <laughs> he's not... He's got so much ground to make up just to yeah. get into the starting blocks. Great. We're, we're, we're starting today off strong. That's good. Yeah. That's what no, I always like. Good. This is mm-hmm. the, the magic of editing. And if you think this is all going to be edited out, it isn't. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We'll just talk to you, Jennifer. Tell us about your dad. Yes. About my father? Um, yes. <laughs> he, he's, he's a pretty cool dude. He actually uh, did all the flying in Top Gun. What? Really? Yeah, he's kind of a badass. I'm not going to lie. Oh my god. Wow. Yeah. So he, he was, was uh, in the yeah, new so in, in the in the first one. Obviously. In the first one, yeah. So wow. he was the uh technical advisor and Tom Cruise followed him around and learned his mannerisms and my dad took him up in the plane a few times so he could get used to the G's and knew how to react and then my dad did all the um dog fighting in the movie. Oh my that god. That is cool. Yeah. I mean Top Gun's one of my all-time favorites. It's a movie that comes on, or if it's if you're flipping through and you oh, see Top repeat. Gun, that's <laughs> it. You, you, you can't turn it off. You're done. You know, I mean, it's a, that's just the way it is. You got to watch Lord. Top Gun. Yeah. Oh, that's very moment. cool. Yeah. So was he, a Na- was he a Navy pilot? He was. He flew um, F-14s for the Navy. Um, and he was based out of Miramar at the time. And, oh, it looks like Justin's waiting to get in. Yeah, forget about Justin. What's so? <laughs> Justin, is. we're big fans of Jennifer. Uh, oh already. no! <laughs> you guys should do. Uh, you guys should have her on the podcast. No, I, well, we're th- we're trying to book her. We just can't get any <laughs> dates nailed down. She's so busy being your uh, publicist or whatever role she fills for you. She's great. She just told us that her dad w- w- was uh, the actual pilot in Top Gun. Did you know that? Wait, what? I don't think Justin knew that. Oh yeah. my god. Jennifer Abel, what? <laughs> yeah, he yeah. did. Uh, he did all the stunt flying in Top Gun. Holy shit, that's so cool! I had no cool. idea. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's amazing. I mean, gosh, that's that's the coolest. That's uh, my. I could. My dad is not even close to as cool as your dad. Well, my dad laughed at me when I was young. You know, it's, it's a whole other story. You know what I mean? Save it, hey, save it, Oliver. Save it for the podcast. Yeah, well, right. I'll, let, I'll let you guys oh. dive in. All right, thanks. Now, Justin, people are already so sick of my story. Trust me. I've, the amount of times that I've talked about that is exhausting to most, so I'm sure. I, I actually had a guy today quote you to me, Oliver, saying that something that between us had been a minute. Actually, it was my, my friend Preston said, I haven't talked to you. It's been a minute, as Oliver would say. That's kind. Of, so now my friends oh. are quoting you. Anyway, let's get to our <laughs> guest. And Oliver, where are you right now? I am actually in Palm Desert. Um, I live in LA, but I'm in Palm Desert. 
I played in a golf tournament this this week, which went terribly. I played like <laughs> shit. I drank too much. I'm depressed now. You know, I've got all kinds of problems, Justin. But I'm here. He was late to his own podcast. I was late to my own podcast because I had another one. I was doing. I've got two. Right, I'm doing one with my sister. I had to go from one to the next. I'm a bit of a mess, man. In this last little bit, bro. Just I, generally, just I can't, generally I can't speaking. wait to talk about it. I feel you. Yeah, I'm a mess today too. Why don't we all talk about our? Why don't we well, all I'm talk a mess. about our mess? I, Again, I'm a mess. I'm a mess because, first of all, again, I've talked about this before, but I'm coming off of my Lexapro, which I've been on for five years. So mm. it's been about a month since I've been totally clean off of it, but I'm just feeling the withdrawal symptoms of what that is. And, mm. you know, it starts physical, which is crazy, the physical sort of zaps that, that happen. And, but there's also the emotional aspect where you just feel, you feel what depression must really, really feel like in little waves yeah. and bouts where nothing fucking matters. You mm -hmm. try to find a happy place, which I have many of them. Nothing is working. You know, I've got so many people who love me and my kids and my wife and my sister and my mom, and they're, they're always there for me, but nothing fucking matters because if I'm not oh, feeling myself, yeah. this, this is, is like a scene I'm from Airplane where the person's just telling their story and you're going to cut to Justin. He's hanging himself from <laughs> no, the, from that's the, the opposite of vent. this. What are you talking about? I'm, bro, I'm like, I love this. I'm taking this in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Joe, hey, stay out of it. Hey, Joe, oh, don't shame God. him for sharing his stuff, man. I'm not. Yeah. It's just the 35th time I've heard it, Justin. I've heard it for literally 10 podcasts. So but it's my <laughs> first time. It's my don't take don't take away don't take away my chance to be right. there and support okay. Okay. all of us. That's right. All right. And right. maybe we're going to have some new listeners. You know what I mean who haven't heard that I'm crying every five and a half minutes for no reason. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I love anyway, it. I don't think I don't think there's a perfect right. way. There's a, there's not a more perfect way to get into uh to get to get into probably what you guys want to talk about today. I love it. It's so and nice well, to be here. Well, I feel it like you're honestly you're, great to be here too. I'm 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 excited to talk to you, Just. I feel like you're kind of Justin, you're a bit overqualified for our podcast because we we laugh all the time about the fact that we're not professionals yet here we are dishing advice on our lives i'm a 52 year old dad here and now oliver can roll his eyes with older daughters and babies that just turned three today twins oliver is kind of right in the middle oh, he's wow. got kids that are you know what are they 14 12 Thir 13 and 13 11 7 13 11 7 and then you've got kids that are kind of in between his and my little ones and five and, and, now half, you're, three and a half yeah and you've got yeah. the girl and the boy and and you've written a book now which we'll talk about but i feel like you're you look back and go how did i get into this spot where i'm talking about being a man what it means to be a man in the 21st century and how i'm going to be a better man in the 21st century and dad to my kids it's been a crazy ride oh yeah so Oliver, I'm in a similar I'm I'm in a similar space to you, minus the Lexipro, uh, <laughs> and that I'm just feeling all kinds of things very similarly to you. You know, as you you write something that's so damn personal and that talks about really challenging things, specifically for men, and then you realize, oh shit, I'm about to give birth to this thing for real. Well, this isn't just mm -hmm. like some fun thing we're promoting. This is this is real. 
and it's going to go into hands of people that are going to be challenged and people are going to write not nice things. And some people are going to write nice things. And then you're just, there's a lot of anxiety and shit that comes mm-hmm. with it. I, I was so, I had so much anxiety and doubt yesterday that I got myself physically sick last night. I spiked mm-hmm. a fever for four hours, not COVID. And, <laughs> and, uh, wow. and, and it's happened to me a couple times under when I've had like extreme anxiety. Cause I was just like, it, my body just kind of crumbles and it finally so just gives you, way. What are you anxious about? Like just specifically, I know you're, it's a big day, but you know, yeah. are you worried about the perception? Are you worried about people not liking it? You know, no, you know what it is? I think we're all, I think all of us are, are reliving the wounds from our childhood in our daily lives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my biggest wounds were feeling not enough and not accepted specifically from other men, other mm-hmm. boys. Uh, which is what I, a lot of what I write about in the book. So naturally, I did a TED Talk in 2017, right after my son was born. And it was this massive viral sensation. I remember on Facebook, it got like 50 million views. That Of course, Facebook, you know, Facebook had shared the like two-minute clip that was the most controversial of the whole thing because they knew it would get shares. And to them, all, yeah. press, all, you know, all press is good press, which I don't believe. And I remember having women just like obsessed with it and getting all these messages and having men just publicly bashing it without even watching it. And it, and it really showed me how sensitive I am to the acceptance from the male gender, despite my, my, my willingness to challenge it, to challenge the patriarchy, to challenge this stuff. I'm down. Mm-hmm. However, it doesn't change the fact that when those arrows are, are shot at me, they hurt. Mm-hmm. Those daggers are thrown at me. They hurt. It still gets me. And I think that's where I've been at the last couple of days is just recognizing, man, all right, this is going to do This is going to bring a lot of healing to a lot of people, but it's also going to challenge a lot of men, challenge a lot of folks. And um, I talk about stuff in the book that I didn't share or talk about with my family or my wife before I even wrote it because it was also a way of healing for me. And mm. it's just, and you know, when you take off the armor and you're vulnerable to attack, that's the thing. You're vulnerable to attack. And I've just been coming to terms with that. And I think last night, like part of me having that anxiety and spiking that fever was like me stepping into myself saying, all right, you're here. There's no turning back. Remember why you did this. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. that's kind of where I am today. So it's a, it's an it's an entirely different situation on one hand. On the other, it's the same. I So I wrote a book. It's called Lucky Bastard. It's available in discount bins everywhere across the country right now. Um, and it was, I revealed stuff in there that I've never told anybody. Um, and it was a lot about me being kind of the bastard kid of my father and forcing a divorce with him. And then me growing up as a fat kid and going through hair transplant mm. surgery. I was like, if, if I'm going to write a book, I'm going to write a book. I'm not leaving anything behind. Uh, my stepbrothers and sisters were not happy about the fact that I shared a lot of this stuff, but I didn't care. And I, I would say, you know, now five years after I released the book, it is the single best thing I've ever done for myself. Mm-hmm. It was like, it's like, it's 280 or 300 pages of therapy for me. And and I said it to the publisher when when I was going around and interviewing publishers, I said, I I probably shouldn't say this, but I don't care if this book sells one copy or one billion copies. 
It just feels good to get it out and, and write it and have people know who I am if they want to bother. And if they don't want to, if they want to rip me for whatever, doing a Yankees game, then they can rip me, but they're also being lazy because they have no idea what I'm all about. So I'm, I'm here. I'm, that's a long way of saying, I think once this comes out and whatever comes out with regard to of a dust up, when it, when it settles down, I think you're going to look back and go, I'm so glad I did that for myself. I really appreciate that, man. And uh, I am buying it on discount right now. Okay, good. Yeah, what is it? It's down to eighteen dollars. <laughs> How much <Good>. is it? <laughs> Hardcover hard is eighteen dollars and thirteen cents. Where they go. get the thirteen cents, I have no idea. I I don't know. Uh, I would have I, gladly paid nineteen. Well, I just want you, to know that. you know, if you if you get an autograph copy, those are actually worth less. So try <laughs> to find one of those and buy that. You'll save money that way. <laughs> oh man. If you like conversations with actors and authors like today's episode with Justin Baldoni, take a dive into the Daddy Issues archives and listen to our conversation with Rumor Willis, where we discuss her relationship with her dad. That's Bruce. Growing up in the public eye, finding your passion, relationships, and so much more. The, the most difficult thing, and I think even kind of to what Oliver was saying earlier, the thing that probably bought me to some of the lowest times was how judgmental people were about how I looked. How did your dad deal with something like that? As a father, I have a daughter as well, and I, I want to go kill everyone. You know what I mean? I have that anger <laughs> I might probably have to deal with. But, uh, totally. you know, how did your dad react to all that? Was he pretty even about it? <laughs> he was like, my dad's response was to go up to kids <laughs> and, say, and say, hey, it's not okay to be mean. And I was like... I don't know if that's going to work. I appreciate it. You know, like, I don't know if people are going to really take that to heart. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after the short break with more from today's guest, Justin Baldoni. Did this um, sort of needing validation or acceptance from male figures i mean is this something that stemmed from childhood from you know parents just growing up right i mean because i had a dad who bailed it i think i need acceptance from males it affected me in different ways it was more self-esteem for me uh, you know uh, but how did that how did that happen what where did this come from with you you know i don't know i it wasn't because so my dad didn't bail see i have the opposite my dad is the most present, loving father, and I and I talk about him a lot in the book. Is you know here I am one of the lucky ones with a dad mm-hmm. that was just there for me, and yet I still have resentment. And mm-hmm. that's the thing, man. It's like trauma is trauma, and and it can it can show up in big and small ways, uh, and it's not just the big things, right? It's not just the dad that leaves you. Um, or treats you like shit or abuses you. Like we all are healing from our own childhood stuff. So I think, I don't know. I, I looked at my dad not as somebody who was super masculine. My dad worked all the time. He was an entrepreneur. He what you know he was working and then he would show up and he would always like you know be there and give gifts and he'd always show up to practice. But there was ways he didn't show up that I that I now as an adult realize I needed him to. I needed I needed him to show up and just talk to me. To teach me about 
my body and sex and mm-hmm. to remind me of my own enoughness. I needed him to, to show me that he wasn't perfect, that he, that he uh, made mistakes, that he didn't have all the answers. Um, and because I grew up and I realized, you know, he fell from, he fell from grace at one point. What I talk about in the book is like, fuck, man, I just wish my dad would have fallen into grace. Mm-hmm. I wish he would have just shown me his imperfections so that I could have grown up knowing that it's okay that I have imperfections, that I'm like my dad. Oh, I don't know the answer. I'm not perfect, but I never saw my dad do those things. But in terms of specifically acceptance from boys, that starts, I think, on the schoolyard, man. That starts in the playground for all of us kids at like five, six, seven, eight years old. And we don't even know why or how that starts. But we start to faction. We turn into like, it's the boys and then the girls and the girls have cooties, right? And it's no girls allowed. It's only the boy. It's the boys club starts when we're like four or five, six years old. And then I was an athlete, right? I was a, I was, I was a really good athlete. Um, and yet I was also very sensitive and had a lot of girlfriends, felt more comfortable with the girls than the guys, but I could kick ass in whatever sport I was playing. So I had this really weird thing where I was then bullied oftentimes by the dudes on the team, even mm. though I was kicking their ass. And I was, they were like, you know, scoring winning goals or setting records on in the hundred meter dash or whatever it was. But then outside of that, I wasn't cool because I was sensitive and emotional. And I loved, I loved talking all night to my girlfriends. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so I was always in this kind of weird position where I was like one of the dudes and one of the bros sometimes so long I was adding value to the group or winning, scoring game winning goals or whatever it was. And then I wasn't because I was also deemed kind of feminine in other ways. Hmm. So yeah, it started early for me, for sure. Mm. That's interesting. I mean, I have, you know, I have two boys and a little girl. I have a 13 and 11 year old. He's going into seventh grade. And you're right. It does start in the schoolyard. Um, But I also think that, again, it starts in the home, meaning whatever that personality is, whether it's nature versus nurture, is going to sort of inform how these boys are going to interact in that schoolyard when they're first yeah. presented with it, you know, and that yeah. can shift and change. And I, I, I definitely understand that, you know, but right now I'm watching a transition with my, my, my teenager who mm. never really gave a shit how he was perceived or looked at, you know, and he still doesn't have a bit, that's not a big part of him. But now he's going to school for the first time and he wants his shoes to be cool and he wants his pants to be cool. And he's got an image for the first time ever that I've seen him want. He wants to present himself in a certain way. And that has Mm -hmm. to do with acceptance, I'm sure. Now, let's see how that takes hold, whether he's accepted or not, whatever that means. So what are you you what are you telling him? I'm curious. What are you telling him in those moments? You know, when he's asking oh, I, I uh, yeah. So no, I'm, I'm, I'm down with him, you know, feeling himself, meaning if he wants to go shop and get some cool clothes, like, all right, let's go. Let's, yeah. let's figure out what you want to do. You know, I'm a big sneaker head. I've got hundreds of pairs of sneakers and that's sort of translated to him. Now he's getting his shoes on. He wants a haircut. He didn't want to go to school on Thursday. He, you know, when he was first, he was first going to go back to school on Thursday, you know, after COVID and everything, because he wanted to get a haircut and he wanted to like look cool. And I was like, great, you know. So I, I definitely understand what that feels like. I remember yeah, myself course. going through that, you know. Um, so yeah, I'm just allowing him, allowing right. him to feel that. But at the same time. 
it hasn't come up yet to where it's like, well, look, if you're getting bullied or if, if there's an issue there, you know, I, I haven't really been able to have those, that, that moment yeah. has not come up. So I haven't had to have that conversation, you know? Ooh. It's yeah. But, that's, that's, and, or if he's bullying, right. And we don't know. It's, that's yeah, the big thing. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, you know, I'm but sort of old school parenty. What does that know? mean? <clears throat> well, Thanks for being you know, on my I podcast, feel, Oliver, by the way. No, I, I, I know. <laughs> I just, I feel like personally that we coddle our kids too much these days. Mm. I just do. I think that unconsciously they want discipline. They want some structure in their lives. Not to say that we need to cut off emotion and saying, well, how are you feeling about things? And, or this is, this is the way it is done all the time. But I do think that I have a lot of friends who sort of, you know, I believe don't discipline their kids enough, you know? Um, yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, you can ask questions and I'll answer them, but I'm still the authority right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I, I do believe that. Um, and then I also talk to them like they're human beings and not children. You know, I curse in front of them. I, when I was a smoker, I smoked cigarettes in front of them. I drink in front of them. And my philosophy is this, I'm an adult, you know, I've, I can do what I want to do. Don't smoke. It's terrible, you know, but I'm not going to hide this from you because if I get caught, how does that look? You know, I'd rather yeah. smoke out in the open and say, yeah, it sucks, this is who I am. Don't do it. But I'm never going to hide anything from you, including mm -hmm. this. You know, I mean, there's a few sort of extreme examples, but yeah, I, I think that's I think really, that's I think that's really well said by him and and by Oliver. And I, I wonder, Justin, as you look at at yourself as a parent now with young kids, you know, he's at the next level. How do you how do you see? where you come from shape how you are as a parent and how are you kind of laying the groundwork for all these things that he's talking about at six and three, you yeah. know, you're not dealing with, I don't think somebody wanting to get a haircut to fit in. I, I don't think that's kicked in yet. So I, I, what, no, what kind of groundwork son, are you laying down? My son did say to my wife and I last week that he wants a backpack because the mm -hmm. other kids, Jackson has a backpack. And, and we're like, but sweetheart, you don't have anything to carry in your backpack. He's like, I don't care. I want a backpack. And I'm like, so that's where it starts early. Because right. look, masculinity is, it's modeled. We learn how to be men from other men. We learn how to be boys from other boys, especially older boys. And that's where it starts. It starts early. In terms of, um, first of all, Oliver, thank you for sharing that. I think it's actually, I wouldn't necessarily call you an old school parent if you're talking to your kids like they're, Humans, I think that that's <laughs> right. also. I agree. I, yeah. I actually think that 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 would not make you an old school parent, right? Um, but I understand what you mean when you say that because you have you are being very honest with them and you're disciplining them. And I actually think that it's it's unfortunate that um, old school parenting means that you are a disciplinarian to your children mm -hmm. because that's not. I just think that's parenting. Right, like, but you, but, but, we, but as you know, you you'd probably be surprised, or maybe you're not, especially living in Los Angeles, which is a little zone. Of yeah, its hippy own. dippy. How, yeah, it's a whole. Well, thing. yeah, how it's yeah. like okay, you just bit your sister. Oh, how did that make you feel? Uh, fuck that. I don't care how it made you feel. Maybe we'll get to that later. But 
Yeah. No, no this, don't this bite your not, sister. Don't bite yeah. your sister. Right. Yeah. Don't, don't, we don't hurt bodies. We don't. And, and I think that there's ways, there's, there's ways to say that. Yes. I think that, look, I think <laughs> LA is its own interesting thing. And I, I mm-hmm. you know, I believe you come from an entertainment background mm-hmm. and family. Yes. So, you know, I, I almost feel like things are tested in LA and then they spread to the rest of the world sometimes. Uh, and the thing, <laughs> and that we're all beta testers. And then, and then the thing is that we're, we're all just, you know, and then when they fail, we're the ones to get, you know, fucked up at the end. And then mm-hmm. people are like, oh, no, don't do that. That's terrible. Uh, <laughs> right, but it's already, right. so we're, the, we're, we're uh, you know, we're patient zero in a lot of those ways. Um, for, for me, for my wife and I, we also are practicing talking to our kids like humans. Mm-hmm. But they're at an age where we can build foundations and we can build, we can build the foundation where they have a healthy sense of self before they get into those situations. And so we do ask them things like, well, I see that you're angry right now. Let's talk about Mm -hmm. why you're angry. And of course they don't want to talk about it, but sometimes all kids need is to be, to have their feelings validated because they don't even know why they're feeling those things. Now there's a difference Mm -hmm. between my son hitting my daughter in the head and me saying like, Oh, how are you feeling? No, I'm like, stop. In fact, what I do sometimes is I take, I'll take his hands away. I'll say, mm-hmm. no, here, you lost your, you lost your hands for a minute. And I hold his mm-hmm. hands and he can't use his hands for a minute. Mm-hmm. And then I say, dude, how does that feel? Well, when we have fists, we, we don't hit with them. Like real power is when we don't hit with our fists. Right. And if you're angry, let's go talk about what you're feeling. So I mm-hmm. do do that, but I will mm-hmm. absolutely never allow anybody to hit or to bite or mm-hmm. to kick. And that's something with a three and a half year old with a lot of testosterone that we're dealing with a lot. My son cannot sit still, but I was like that. He wants to hit mm-hmm. and he even hits his own head sometimes. He just doesn't know what to do with all of his energy. And my daughter is, <laughs> my daughter is the opposite. Yeah. Um, so so we're, we're going through that. I think the big thing that I'm teaching my kids and what I'm preparing them for also is the idea that um, they have to use their heart. And so for my son, I believe that as men, we're not taught how to feel, how to allow ourselves to feel, how to use our heart. I don't think, I think that we look at bravery wrong. And, um, and so what I'm teaching him right now is that the heart is the strongest muscle in his body. And I'm teaching him how to love himself, how to love his body, but mm. that his heart is stronger than all of his physical muscles and all of these things that all of the boys are going to be, you know, talking about when he gets into school. If I can prepare him now for that schoolyard mm-hmm. um, and by teaching him that, no, it's okay if you cry. It's okay if you have feelings, mm-hmm. but like, let's talk about what it is. Why are you crying? You know, what made you cry? Are you happy? Are you sad? That's one thing. The second thing that I got to do is I got to show him. So it's telling him and then it's showing him. So it's, 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 it's making sure that I don't listen to that part of me that tells myself to like, to bury it when I'm feeling emotional. If I'm feeling angry or if I'm feeling overwhelmed, like last night, I had to just sit on the couch for a second because I was a little depressed. Mm-hmm. I was, my mind was spinning and I brought them over and I said to my kids, daddy's really tired right now because daddy's feeling a lot of anxiety and he's feeling a little worried and he's feeling a little scared. And that's okay. So you're okay. doing exactly what your dad didn't do along those I'm lines. Doing very, I'm very, doing flaws. very much what my dad didn't do. I'm showing, I'm showing them my flaws. I'm showing them that I'm not a superhero and um and preparing them and so they they so that they see that behavior modeled if i start crying if i'm happy or if i'm sad about something i will then turn that into a teaching experience for my kids and i'll say see daddy's daddy's crying right now because he's happy 
he's crying right now because you're going to school and I'm going to miss you. And you're not my little, you're not my little baby anymore. And then he understands that it's okay to cry when you're happy Mm -hmm. and that he doesn't have to bury those things. Cause I am never going to be a parent that tells him to not feel it's not, there's no, I believe crying is allowed in baseball. Mm-hmm. I, I just do. I oh, believe yeah. like what, like how, how many Super Bowls have you done, Joe, where the winning or the losing team cries? I mean, oh my God. it's, it's yeah. inevitable. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I just think this takes an inordinate and these days, very rare amount of energy to parent that way. And, and yeah. I don't, and and I think that that's hats off to you and your wife because I don't think a lot of people have the patience themselves to instill the patience we hope for in our kids. So instead well, they of just they don't have kids, right? Well, definitely that that's yeah. But I but you <laughs> see it all around where it's like, man, you know, it's and and Oliver and I talk about this all the time, like sit up and pay attention to what you're doing right now instead of maybe having your head buried in your phone or don't haul off and yell, you know, for no reason because they're having a moment. You you need to use you're using their moments as opportunities to to teach. And that's that I I personally, I could be wrong, I find that to be pretty rare in today's parent. It, it might be. It's also hard and I fail at it all the time too. I mean, I'm not I think I'm I'm not perfect at it and I'm also someone who can be buried in his phone because so much of my work is dependent on you know, email and social media and all those things. And also it's COVID. So all we're doing is staring at fucking screens all day anyways. Right. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, our kids we do are the competing best we with can, us there. Man. We do the best we right. can. It's not, we, exactly. And I, I, I always say this. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not if we're screwing up our kids. It's just to what degree. How? Exactly. Yeah, how. What degree are we screwing them up? We're doing our best. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> there is an element of, oh, am I doing this right or am I doing this wrong? You know? But that also can't be... That also can't be an excuse. And that's the other thing is I think that we don't often like, yeah, we're going to screw up our kids. So what the hell? It's all good. Like no matter what I'm going to do, I'm going to screw up my kids. But I do think that we can allow ourselves to be intentional about it. And when I, my joke about like, well, they don't have kids is, well, why do we want to have kids? You know, you want to have kids, hopefully to experience the joy of being a parent and then to prepare our children to be the best versions of themselves possible to be better than we were, to be far better than we were, to contribute to this really screwed up, painful, dark world in some meaningful way. And if we don't have the energy to like put that time in to create the more most full humans possible, then what are we doing having kids? I always joke that like when people say they're ready to have kids, I'm always like, I don't trust you. <laughs> you have no idea what you're about to you're owed. you have no idea. You're telling me you're ready to have a child that's going to rely on you 24 seven and that's going to mimic you. And you're going to birth into this world, into this painful, dangerous world where there's crazy shit happening all the time. You're ready to be a parent for the rest of your life. I don't think anybody's ready because we're all still flawed humans trying to get past our own traumatic experiences as children. I I feel like you're a parent at the right time too. You know, Mm -hmm. like I, I don't know that, you know, I'm, I'm what, 15 years older than you. Uh, Oliver's between us. I, I don't know if back in the day this book sells. I think now I don't know you, if this book sells anyways. Well, no, <laughs> but, I, but but you but you have I think an opportunity here, and I think people, unless we're being totally pessimistic, people are more willing to listen to how to be a better parent now than ever, and I think it's becoming infinitely harder to be 
a great parent. Yeah. And when you're, I, when you, so I, I just had my boys turn three today, but the party was yesterday. Wow, and congrats, to have man. my, thank you, to have my 24-year-old daughter fly from New York back to St. Louis to be there for her brothers and to see that interaction and to see her big heart on display mm -hmm. with her little brothers who were, when I told her and her sister that my wife, Michelle, was pregnant, they were an imminent threat to where, you know, they sat in my heart in their, in their oh. youngish minds. And now this thing has come full circle and you start to see how they interact with other adults. And you guys, you guys have no idea. That's the beauty. I've, I'm starting over again, but I see what happens on the other end when they become young adults. And it is a beautiful thing. It is, it is the most rewarding thing in life to see so, your kids interact in a way that makes you proud with other adults or with other kids. Yeah. Joe, can I ask you a question? Sure. How are you parenting your three-year-old different than you parented your 23-year-old or 24-year-old? Yeah, it's uh, a lot, I think, and, and this was one of the questions I was going to ask you. There's another player in this, and that's my wife. And my wife has way more patience at 44 than I have at 52. And I had way more patience in my late 20s, early 30s than I have now at 52. So it, it's a different... It's a different formula, but I feel like we're getting the same results. I'm just taking more from my wife and learning from her patience and trying to remember how I was the mm. first go around because, I, I, yeah, I'm tired. I'm, I'm tired. They get up at <laughs> 630. I'm tired. I don't want to get up. And I don't, and, but, you. you know, it's just so there. I was going to ask you, is your wife in lockstep with you as to how you want to parent? your kids most oh, yeah. importantly your boy yeah oh no she's we're and that's one of the things that makes this such a joy is we are in lockstep spiritually and emotionally about how we want to parent our kids however i fall short all the time in being that true parenting partner because i still suffer from the same thing i think a lot of us men suffer from which is like this provider mentality and we're in a feast or famine industry and, uh, and so I'm, and I'm an entrepreneur and a creator and a filmmaker and now, you know, doing all of these different things and I can get lost in my work and forget, um, to really be a co-parent at times. And we can very easily fall into those kind of traditional gender roles. And I have to really pull myself out of it at times and allow myself to enjoy being a parent because at times it can be like, what the hell? Why did I do? Why are we doing this? Like, right. my wife's like, mm -hmm. I don't even like our children. What right. is happening? <laughs> and, and then, it, and, and then this dad, and, you know, and then it's like, you know, the, it's just this, it's this age old question, which is like, how do you have work-life balance? How do you, how do you build a career and also be a father? How do you also be a husband? Like shit, when are, when are, when is there going to be time for us to have sex? All of it, right? It's all just this big messed up thing of, of nobody knows the answer and it's different for everybody, but it makes us human. So yeah, it's hard. We're in lockstep with how we want to raise our kids. Oftentimes she'll tell me sometimes, hey, sweetheart, you were a little too hard there. Because again, I, I want to give my kids what I didn't get, which is that discipline. Um, and mm -hmm. then I'm like, oh God, you know, I, I can, I remember I raised my voice a little bit, but it was more of an energy. And my daughter, like my wife is, is an empath. My wife and my daughter are like the same person. They're just, they feel everything. And uh, they can walk by somebody who's in a bad mood and they can feel it. So I raised my voice the other day 
just a little bit and my daughter started crying. And it was just a very direct, like, well, why did you do that? Or I said, and it wasn't even that, I said something. And she looked at me and she goes, she can feel that. You don't have to be that hard. And I just I kind of crumble because I don't want my daughter to, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't need to be that hard. That was my shit. All I, right. I could have created a but, you know? Sure, but that's the thing that we talked about too, you know, just about parenting. There is no right, there is no one way for, yeah. your, for each children. I have three of them and they're all different. So you try it with one. Okay, yeah. that, that, one does, that one likes it like this. And then the second one, ooh, shit, he doesn't like it that way. Exactly, because okay, my son, yes, Oliver, my son doesn't respond the same way that my daughter does. But here's the difference. Here's where I think we can all, what we can all do. When I heard that from my wife and when I saw that reaction in my daughter, I apologized mm-hmm. and I said, oh, sweetheart, you know what? Daddy was feeling something, but it wasn't about you. And I'm sorry. Yeah. And that's not something my parents ever did for me. Yeah. And that's where I think, I think that it doesn't matter what we do. We're going to be, we're experimenting every, like, this is the biggest experiment. Parenting is just one massive scientific experiment that all of us are going to fall short in, but we can take, we can take great things from each other. And one of the things that, I want to offer to anybody is being willing to acknowledge that you make mistakes in front of your children. Even when, even if you discipline them and it hurts their feelings, you can come back and say, you know what? I was angry about that, but that's my stuff. You oh, still yeah. shouldn't have done that, but I could have handled that better. And I'm sorry. <laughs> the amount of times I've apologized to my kids, it's crazy, <laughs> especially my older one, you know, where I just fly off the rails because of whatever it is I'm dealing with, you know, in my life and it upsets yeah. him and he gets, he cries and I feel like total dog shit. And yeah. then I sit with him and hold him and be like, I'm dude, I'm so sorry. Like, this is nothing to do with you. I, I just, you know, I didn't. I didn't do this right. I did it wrong, and I'm going to learn from it, and I'm going to do it differently mm. next time. Are we cool? That's awesome. Half, half, half <laughs> of me is, you know, half of me is sort of just looking for him to get me off the hook, you know. So, you yeah, know, because there's know. A, there's there's a selfish aspect to it of yeah, it's for him, but it's also like, dude, please forgive me, so I can continue yeah. on with my day without wanting to kill myself, you know. Oh yeah, without thinking that I just have a terrible father just, and worthless in every area of life. You up, yeah, especially oh, yeah. in my case where you know, again, I have a, I have our, my relationship with my my real father sort of coming around after a thousand years, but you know, when I was growing up. I, as a young guy, I made a vow. I was just like, I never want to do that to my children, right? So mm. I'm hypersensitive to it. I almost connect too much. I I feel too much. I attach my sense of well-being too much yeah. with the way that they're feeling. And I've had to separate that. I did a TV show in Nashville uh, for two years and my daughter was born 10 days prior to me leaving and it was devastating oh. to me. Oh my and, God, I um, feel you so much. Yeah, and then he was in going into first grade and having a lot of issues going into first grade, probably because I was there. It was a really not a great moment. You know, I was flying back and forth a bunch to come full circle. This is why I went on the fucking Lexapro five years ago because I had an anxiety <laughs> attack. Will you please get back on Lexapro? Can I just send you <laughs> a two months supply and and just get back on? Please. <laughs> My point is, is that it's all one great journey, you know? And yeah, man. Every journey includes peril, and that's just mm-hmm. how it goes. And, and what I've realized, and you know, is that all of the crazy shit that happened when you are raising your kids, when you're getting up with them at three in the morning, when you're trying to rock them to sleep, when they're sick, all of the things that in the moment, 
you just want to end are the beautiful moments that you look back on and miss. You get nostalgic about my wife and I or something. Oh God, remember breastfeeding in the middle of the night or rocking the kids or throwing up, Bodhi having tantrums mm. and puking all over himself. And you know, all those things that were horrible, you look back on with, with fondness now. It's really weird. My favorite quote, you're gonna love this quote, is being a parent is the only time you feel nostalgia for the present. Right. That's so That's true. Good. That's so great. Because yep. you can see it coming. You can see these moments that are not going to last and the beautiful moments, which as Oliver said so well, which yeah. oftentimes are not beautiful while they're happening. But you look back, you paint it with this different brush because it was like, man, that was that yeah. was when we were all in a dark room and trying to help somebody get through something. That's a yeah. That's a beautiful quote. Hey, if you're enjoying this podcast of Daddy Issues, don't keep it to yourself, all right? Tell people, share the love, tell a friend, tell a girlfriend, tell a boyfriend about Daddy Issues. Go to subscribe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss the rest of our conversation with Justin Baldoni coming up right after this. Justin, what is the, what, what's the biggest pushback you get? on you know when when you say people say shit on social media or if they come pointing arrows at you what are you making your kids too soft you're you're too you're or what is it i i'm i'm no it's interested. Well, so much so my book isn't really about fatherhood so the book is really just my journey and undefining masculinity yeah let's get room. into that man this is so interesting so, to me it's it's in the sorry to interrupt but it's just it's in the world right now i've been talking so much about what masculinity is, what it was, where it is moving forward, how this yeah. word toxic masculinity, now there is no such thing as masculinity anymore because that toxic has been put in front of it. Well, that's and why now I won't say everything it. is. Yeah, everything that's why I won't is. Say, right. That's why I won't say it. So I talk about it in the book. I will not say toxic masculinity. First of all, right. I believe it's I believe that I don't believe masculinity is toxic. I I'm very clear. I love being a man. I love I love aspects of masculinity and I'm I can be very traditional in my masculinity, but I will not say toxic because that phrase has been weaponized and politicized. And the second you say toxic masculinity, men shut down. And my, my work is with men, man. It's not like, it's not with women. Women, women can speak for and to themselves. I, my work is with men. And, um, and my, what I, when I'm here in general to talk about is just, you know, what does it actually mean to be a man today? And, and being aware and acknowledging that there is a system in place that doesn't just hurt women, you know, and gay folks and, and gender nonconforming and trans folks. It hurts us men. Like we, like we're hurting, right? Like we're suffering. You're on, you know, you've been on Lexapro. Like mm -hmm. would you have had, would you have had to be if you had been taught early on to, embrace your feelings and to, and, and, you know, if, if you had been maybe raised a little bit differently, I don't know that answer. I'm just asking, it's just a question. And so no, it's a great, it's a so great in, question in general. That's really, and so there's a chapter in the book about, so the book's kind of uh, laid out into 10 chapters that all use the, like the man enough um, phrase. So it's like, so it's sexy enough. It's big enough. It's dad enough. So my chapter about being dad enough is really my relationship with my dad, his relationship with his father, and raising a child while I'm still growing up. 
and just this general feeling of like enoughness that I think all of us men to a certain extent feel yet don't really know we're feeling it. And it's the kind of the motivating factor in a lot of our lives um, is this idea of, of, of being enough, of being man enough, of, you know, being a good enough dad, a good enough father, a good enough friend, a good enough husband, a good enough, um, you know, entrepreneur or, you know, actor or, you know, sportscaster. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it permeates all of us. And my, my hope and my challenge is that we don't redefine masculinity. We undefine it. We take all these rules off of it so that we don't have to show up as anything more than we, we are. We don't have to be big and strong and brave and tough because guess what? Like technically we're three kind of alpha dudes, but a lot of men are not. So what does that mean? They're not men. You know, what does that mean to, you know, to my gay friends growing up? Are they not men because they're more feminine? And was I not a man when I was, you know, when I was running a four, three forty because I cried easily or because I liked going to watch the notebook or, you know, because I talked to my girlfriends at night. Like, what does it actually even mean to be a man? And and we realize that all what of this shit. What's what, defined masculinity? What has defined it? Culture, society? Oh yeah. yeah, 100%. Society, culture, um, and men. <laughs> like we've, we have decided, like defined it. And, and that changes. We learn masculinity from our, it's generational, from our fathers. It's also based on where we live. Masculinity looks different in other places. Um, and so we're talking about, you know, I'm very much talking about Western masculinity, but if you go to South America, if you go to India, it's also very intense. Um, I mean, look at what's happening in England right now, right? Mm-hmm. A poor, uh, Sarah, this woman gets killed walking home by a police officer. And in response, all of these women come forward on the internet, sharing their stories about how they don't feel safe. How, you know, it was like 97% of women or so are harassed or attacked at some point in their life. One in five women will be raped in their lifetime or sexually assaulted. And yet in response, men come up with this hashtag where they say, not all men are bad. Not all men are like that, right? We can't even take it. But at the end of the day, how can all of us men be okay with the fact that the majority of women are having these experiences? That means that like, if, if there's three of us guys here on this call, well, each of us guys know a ton of other dudes but there's a very good chance that one of those guys has been one of those guys. So it's our job as the friend, as the bystander to say like, to have these uncomfortable conversations and to be better men. And we can only be better men if we're confronting other men. That's just one example, right? Mm -hmm. We're defensive. We learn masculinity from each other, from our fathers. And at the end of the day, masculinity is performative. None of like, I'm sure you guys have had conversations where you've been in, I mean, look, sports on sets where you meet other kind of alpha dudes and you like say something or maybe act in a certain way. And you're like, why the fuck did I say that? Or why am I, mm-hmm. why did I do that? Was I, maybe I'm actually like, well, you're, you're insecure. <laughs> like you, mm-hmm. because you're like trying to be something that, because you're performing, we do it with women, we do it with men. So my whole thing is like that thing that makes us want to do that, we should look at. Let's just look at it. Let's ask ourselves, why is this serving us? And how can we become better? So that's all. I'm not attacking men. No, no, but do you think there's anything primal, though, about that? Because we still still have primal aspects of our nature, at least I believe that, you know? So, you know, um, there's the moment with men that I totally admit to where, I don't know whether it's insecurity or not, but it's that puff up shit where it's like, 
uh, you know, on the golf course, you see a guy and on your, you're going to go play with him and you're like, this guy, I'm going I'm to show this motherfucker that I, you know, this guy yeah. can't play or whatever. I mean, you, you, there's this competitive nature, at least I'm only speaking personally. How much do you think of that is learned? And then how much of that is actually primal? I think there's probably, I think it's probably a little bit of both. I'm not going to he- sit here and say that none of it is in our DNA. Mm-hmm. I'll never say that. Because I also acknowledge that even as somebody who's unlearning a lot of the societal stuff, I still partake and enjoy competition, mm-hmm. especially healthy right. competition. So it's not, an, again, I'm not trying to throw away everything. What I'm trying to say is, hey, let's question what serves us and what doesn't. So I'm not, you know, uh, I would say some of it's absolutely primal. I would say some of it's also learned. And I'd say not all of us men have that primal thing too, because I know a lot of men who just don't have that. Who just don't have a competitive bone in their body and could give two shits about it. And then there's, but then I will say that a lot of the men I know, like us, that have that primal thing also come from families that have that primal thing and mm-hmm. men that have, and have been influenced by men that have that primal thing, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, again, we could, you know, there are, there are people that debate this all day long. I'm not interested in that debate. What I'm interested in is great, you have the primal thing, but we can't use that as an excuse because that primal thing can't hurt other people and it shouldn't hurt ourselves. So let's just be aware of that primal thing and like, let's have it in doses, right? Versus being competitive all day long, every day with everybody. Cause sure. I've also, I've also been that guy, right. Where I've just like, everything is a competition, but that's also coming from my own sense of self and feeling a lack of in those moments. Yes, yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, if we're but, really going to break down where that all comes from, I mean, it definitely, you know, probably roots in some sort of an insecurity and, and, exactly. and, and the juxtaposition of my feelings versus how I'm outwardly acting is, is almost comical where I, it, in my <laughs> mind, I puff up, but really what comes out of my mouth is, hey man, how are you? Hey, it's so good to play with you. Hey, I, <laughs> exactly. I love you. You know, I mean, that's, that's what happens. I, I just, I'm a, I front, I'm just, I'm, I, I yeah, lie to myself. Yeah. Yeah. But, but on, and, and I'm, I'm probably not, uh, dismissing everything you're saying at all. I just feel like for you, Justin, for you, Oliver, for me, there's also the competitive side that serves. I mean, I, I think if I'm going to go on and broadcast a Super Bowl for 112 million people, that's got to kick in. I have to, there has to be an ego thing. There has to be an, I'm going to do this better than anybody's ever done it today. Whether that's right or wrong, it doesn't matter. For you to walk Hell out yeah. on the stage, for Ali to, to do the same thing, there, there's a competitive, like, there, right. it takes. To, to Justin's point, that's not hurting anybody, though, right? right. You know, I mean. That, yeah, that's, that's, just, not, that, that's not an issue, Joe, because you are trying to be a master at, you, at what you're doing. Right, and if you're using competition, if that helps you get there, you're you're trying to give the best damn performance you could possibly give. You're trying to win the game. You're trying to do whatever it is you're doing, and that is, uh, and that is, and that is is a good thing. But we have to just look at the other areas in our lives where that doesn't serve us. So I'm not saying that we can't be competitive. I'm not saying that we shouldn't strive for excellence. We, of course, we should. Um, so I just want to make sure that you understand yeah. that that's kind of where I'm going with it. I think it's a good thing. I, I love being competitive, man. I, I, but at the same time, I, I don't want to ever be competitive to a fault or, you know, look, look how wars start. Oh, half of wars, most of wars are just competition. They're just, you know, it's ma- the majority of men just like com- comparing whose dick mm-hmm. is bigger at the end of the day. Look at the wars from the past. 
It's all based on ego. A healthy sense of ego is a good thing. So long as you know your ego and you know when you're in your ego and you can call yourself out on it when you're not. Right. So while no. you've been writing this book and just through this sort of self-exploration, have there things that, are there things that you have, uh, in, the, in terms of masculinity, have noticed about yourself that you have then checked yourself or re-educated where it's like, oh, shit, okay, I got to work on that. Oh, the whole book is that. So the whole deal with the book is I did not write this book from like, hey, here's what worked for me. Mm -hmm. Here's 10 tips for a more successful life or wake mm -hmm. up at 4 a.m. every morning or wake your make your bed first thing. There's other books for that, man. Mm -hmm. And as we know, guys love those kinds of books. Um, but this book is this book is written from, <laughs> from me as a student and being on the journey in the journey. That's it. There is no part of this book where I'm on the other side of it. And I'm like, hey, you know, this is, I was in a dark place and this is what got me out of it. I'm writing this book as somebody who's in it. And it was also as just like Joe you know, for you, it was extremely therapeutic for me in healing. I had shit come up that I didn't even know had come up. Mm. I remembered, I remembered my first true sexual experience, like wasn't consensual. Mm. And, it, and I wasn't ready. There was stuff that came up that I had no idea that I was still struggling with and feeling. And so to answer your question, the, basically, Oliver, the book is really me coming to terms with my own masculine behavior that has gone too far and trying to understand why. Mm. So they can, and again, I say, I make it very clear. This is not an attack on men. I love being a man. I won't say toxic masculinity. However, there are parts of masculinity that when unchecked can become toxic. And I think that's the key. So yeah, man, like I, and when I gave my Ted talk in 2017, I, uh, I talked very openly about being known as this like feminist who was amplifying the voices of women whenever I could, but at home I was interrupting my wife all the time. So I was silently, you know, quietly silencing my own partner and not even aware that she would be talking and I would just interject and I would do it with women. I would do it with women, not just with my wife, but outside. And the thing is that most women outside won't say anything because they're used to this behavior. They're used to all of us dudes interrupting them when they speak or thinking without even realizing it, having this subconscious idea that our thoughts are more important than theirs. And at home, I was doing it to my own wife. There's all kinds of behaviors like this um, mm -hmm. that I've been made aware of. And the second as men, we start to say, all right, sweetheart, can you tell me, do I ever do this? Or can you tell me when I do something like this? They will, the floodgates open and they will gladly tell us some of the things that we've been doing that maybe we haven't even noticed we're doing. And it's on us then to take that feedback and be like, damn, can I notice it the next time I do it? Nope, I screwed up again, I interrupted you, shit. Mm -hmm. And then you come back, oh, I screwed up again. And then you start to notice it everywhere and then you just interrupt less. That's just one piece of it. I talk in the book also uh, about porn and me being introduced to it at 10 years old and it being a crutch and a struggle for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, and having nobody to talk to about it because as we know, 90 something percent of men use it, but we don't ever talk about it because there's shame around it. I talk about all kinds of stuff in the book and I do it because I want to give permission to other men to examine their own stuff. And that's it because we, healing will only start if we look inward. It starts, mm -hmm. it doesn't start with an audience and a, on Instagram or on, get, on, you know, giving speeches. It starts in the mirror with an audience of one. That's where change begins. And I just want men to have 
healthier, happier lives. We kill ourselves more than women. There's an entirely different pandemic with men and mental health. Why? Because we don't know how to ask for help. There's a study that was done in England that showed that over the course of their lifetimes, British men will drive an additional and unnecessary, superfluous 900 miles over the course of their lifetime just because they won't ask for help. Wow. Because <laughs> they won't ask for directions? They won't ask for directions. <laughs> That's a good study. So you think about it. 900 additional miles over the course of our lifetimes because we won't ask for directions, we won't ask for oh help. My we can't God. do it. So if we won't even ask for fucking directions, how are we going to ask for a subscription to LexiPro? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And that's the yeah, whole point. Yeah. That's, that's, that's all. I just want to have the fucking conversation mm-hmm. because it drives me crazy that we don't have it, which is why I won't say the buzzwords, the polarizing, weaponized words like toxic masculinity. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, I'm really excited to read this book. And I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. I mean, this is something that has always been on my mind. I mean, I'm doing a, an unscripted show. I'm actually pitching a show and in, in an hour, you know, with my friend Tay, um, it's about being fathers. It's 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 traveling hmm. around, but it's also exploring masculinity, what it means to be masculine today. You know, modern day masculine. All of the stuff that you are writing about, we are exp- we are we are set to explore. I'm I'm fascinated by it, and especially how the pendulum just swings so far. And yeah. is there ever a middle ground? You know what I mean. And how do we talk That's to our boys question. today? And how do we talk to our girls today? How do we prepare them for this fucking pendulum that is way up here and then way over here? Yeah. And it's going to swing. And, that, and that's a, an amazing question. The thing to talk about is because, yeah, the pendulum swings really, really far sometimes. But I think instead of complaining about where it's been swung, we have to understand why it's swinging there right. and where it started. It's just momentum, right? It's swinging, but pendulums swing because of momentum. And if it's been oppressed and held super high on one side, of course it's going to swing super high to the other side. And eventually we'll find our way to the middle. Um, but I love that you're doing that. By the way, you should come pitch it to me because I have a studio and we finance these things. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> I, I don't know. Oh, I, just, I just, I speak on behalf of uh, the rest of humanity when I say, I don't know that you, Justin, and Oliver and Tay Diggs could be in the same room together. It's just probably three of the best looking men walking the planet. I don't, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair to the rest of us. Okay, there you go. There's my vulnerability. I don't feel like I measure up to your beautifulness. Yeah, and I just got that out. We color coordinated, by the way, too. Today. No, we are. You, you notice are. that we're wearing the yeah. exact same plaid sweatshirt yeah. for plaid. Oh, God. Joe, I need to see you cry more, man. I cry in front of you all the time. You got to cry more for me. Do you cry in front of Joe a lot? Uh, yeah, I cry in front of everybody. I'm, we had oh, Eddie way, Vedder I'm, on, and it was. And I'm an easy <laughs> cry too. My dad, I get that from my dad. My dad gave a speech one time, and he said, "I'm an easy cry. I cry at the sight of a good kick return." And there, I'm, I'm kind of an offshoot of that. If you show me somebody on American Idol or America's Got Talent, or I cried at the Justin. The, how about this? Here's vulnerable. I cried at the <laughs> Justin Bieber documentary that I took my daughter to whenever the hell that came out. I, I was like, oh, my God, this kid. And, yeah, I'm, I'm an easy cry. And, by the way, I stuffed that down trying to make sure my daughter didn't see me cry, I, which is exactly what you're talking about, Justin. That, that was a teaching moment that, uh, that I let get away. Oh, you so. But you know what's interesting is I think, I think a lot of us men are easy criers. 
you know, Bell Hooks talks about how as young boys, we engage in a psychic act of self-mutilation where we cut ourselves off from our feelings and we don't allow ourselves yeah. to truly feel. And that thing that, that we feel as men that stops us from being our full human selves, from crying when we want to cry, we don't do it because we're going to be shamed by other men. Mm-hmm. We're, we're gonna, what are we going to be called? Pussy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pussy. Gay. Yeah, think yeah, about this. Think about our language. Like we use someone's sexuality to put us down. We call it a girl. We use another gender to put mm-hmm. us down. So without even realizing it, where are we placing those genders and those but folks it's not that even, identify but, that but, it's, it, but it's not even with men. It's women as well. Even women yeah. as close to me as my wife who I get sometimes embarrassed to cry in front of them. And she's like, babe, just let it go. You know, I mean, still to this day, and I consider myself a pretty vulnerable, emotional person. But again, that's that masculinity, whether it's a primal thing or learned uh, is to be debated. That's but def- I would definitely say right. that that's learned. That's learned behavior. And right, there's data. Like and there's data that shows If I cry in front of you, I'm not, I'm not right. I'm, I'm not tough or I'm yeah. not the, I'm not a man. You know, there's this, there's, well, that's the thing. And we're taught that by other men. And that's the whole thing. We're not challenging primal instincts here. We're challenging learned behavior, right? As young boys, we cry when we want to cry. And I'm catching myself. I have to be careful with my son because there's a part of me that knows that the world is going to shame him for crying. And Mm -hmm. so when my son cries, I'll notice when I'm like, don't cry. When I want to say that and I'll stop myself because in reality, that starts with our fathers. Our fathers did that to us. I guarantee it. Women do that. Moms do that to their kids Mm -hmm. because they know how boys are treated. So it's about encouraging that emotion and knowing that there's a time and a place for it. Totally. Dude. There's so, so many different times where, you know, my, especially my older one is, is very sensitive. And so is my middle kid as well, but wilder, his name's wilder. He, you know, he's very sensitive and, you know, you're so in tune with your kids, mm-hmm. or at least I feel like I am just so in tune and you can see, you can feel it there. They just mm-hmm. need permission. And I'm just like, Hey buddy, you know what? Just cry. I can see it. Let it go. It's all good. And then, oh, it all it just comes. comes out. And it's amazing to, to it's like when once we, you give that permission. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and sometimes for us men, that permission comes, it, it only comes when we're in private or when we're in a movie theater or mm-hmm. when we're at a, you know, when we're at a sporting event, when everybody's crying or something. Um, and, or, at, or in a traumatic place like a funeral. Mm-hmm. And when, when do those cries come? When we get hugs, mm-hmm. when we get when we get permission to just release, yeah, something kind of pops the bubble, right? It's when a bubble. You, when and you get touched, or when you you know, it's like oh, yeah. you just let go. And and that thing, Joe, that thing, that bubble, is the purpose of my book. All I want us to look at as men is what that bubble is. What's the bubble we serve? What's the thing that makes us think it's okay not that we, or that we can't? And there's a study I talk about in the book also, um, and I can't cite it for you, but. Basically, uh, men and women were shown the same, uh, the same image over and over again. And the first image, and it's like kind of an intense image. And what they found was that the first reaction that a man had emotionally was actually faster than the woman's. But then mm-hmm. the second time he was shown the image, it was slower. So what that told us was that as men, we can actually be, there's, we, we might even be more emotional than women, mm. but we don't allow ourselves to be. We cut ourselves off and we numb ourselves so that we're already ahead of it the next time it comes because we don't want to allow ourselves to feel those things. So by nature, I would say primally, we might be as if not more emotional than women 
but we've just taught ourselves that we're not allowed to be for our own survival. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting. I'm, Man, I'm you- going to buy two books of yours, <laughs> actually more than two books, but I want to give the copy that Oliver's going to read to Oliver. I want to be the one, you wrote it, but I want to be the one to have bought it, and I want to hand it to Oliver and say, here you go, pal. It would be a hell of a gift. So by the time this comes out, it's called Man Enough, Undefining My Masculinity. This book will be out. I will have started reading it. I know Oliver Mm -hmm. will have started reading it. I can't wait. I can't wait. And Justin, you're doing doing big time work. and, And I know you know now, if you didn't before, writing a book is a lot of work. It's not just the work that gets it to the shelf it's the work that you have to do after that to promote it to talk about it whereas i kept talking about myself which i got really sick of talking about my life and times you're doing you're 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 educating while you're doing it so i, I would imagine you're like oh my god i gotta do another thing no, but, I'm but learning at the same every time. time yeah at the same time you're you're helping to bring up conversations that people just don't typically have so good for you it's timely. It. I, it's a, the I, timing of this is perfect. I think. And I love. I've loved this conversation. I, uh, I've loved having. I love the chance to talk to other men, especially fathers, mm-hmm. about these types of things. I could do it. Oh all yeah. Long. And, oh, uh, it's great. And, and I just. I, really I love the. It. I love the journey, the learning process of it all. And I think there's. You have to forgive yourself too. I think that's a big thing: is compassion and mm-hmm. forgiveness for yourself. Because that's actually huge. That yeah. part is huge, Oliver. And that was something that I, I actually, I wanted to say earlier, and I'm happy you brought that up, is we're going to mess up. Yeah. The bar is too high. We make the bar too high for ourselves as men, whether it's in our careers or as in marriage. Um, it's so damn high. And we have to have forgiveness and compassion for ourselves when we fall short, when we screw up, when we mess up with our kids, when we interrupt our wives again and again and again, whatever that thing is. When you go back to smoking or drinking or looking at porn, whatever the thing is that you're doing, I think that we have to have compassion for ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's also a reason why I don't talk about that toxicity. And I'm not about shaming men because I'm a man and I understand how hard we are on ourselves. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean we can't hold ourselves accountable or believe that we can be better, but that's not going to get there if we are shamed and bullied and feel like, you know, shit walking on this earth. We just have mm-hmm. to believe, like anything else, positive reinforcement. We can do better. We can be better. And that starts with loving ourselves. And at the end of the day, recognizing that who we are as we are is enough. This was really, really great. I'm, I'm really excited to read your book. I, I just think that the timing of this is perfect. I think this is in the in, it's, it's in the, the world. But the energy is right for this right now, you know? Yeah. Thanks, man. So good for you. Been, good luck with it. And thank you. All right. All right, See guys. You guys. Listen to Daddy Issues on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Daddy Issues is a production of Cavalry Audio and iHeartMedia, produced by Margot Carmichael. Sound engineering and editing by Josh Windish. Executive produced by Joe Bach, Oliver Hudson, Dana Brunetti, and Keegan Rosenberger. 